Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Today we have Austin-based stand-up comedian Ariel Norman. We have a thrilling talk, but I do want to mention that over the last week, the community has lost a few people, Fred Willard, Jerry Stiller, and Lynn Shelton. It's very sad. Uh... Fred Willard and Jerry Stiller had a pretty big impact on comedy over the course of many decades, like so many decades they've been been at it. And Lynn Shelton has been making an impact on comedy in recent years. Uh, she had a lot of films that were well-reviewed. Uh, Your Sister's Sister is, uh, comes to mind. And she did several episodes of Glow and Marin and, and Mark Marin's last couple of uh, stand-up specials, maybe three stand-up specials. And she was with Mark Marin when she passed. Uh, I don't know if you heard his episode about it yesterday. It's heartbreaking. Um, so from one podcaster to another, I want to put out some love for him into the ether. The good thing to take from these losses is that we were influenced by these people, were inspired by these people, and that lives on how influential they were and how in inspiring they were. Hopefully hearing about them this week will inspire you, so I encourage you to check out their work. On to today's episode. Ariel is a stand-up that I stumbled upon in a pretty random way, and I'm glad I did. Here's my chat with Ariel Isaac Norman. There's so many bad headshots that comedians do because um, mm -hmm. they're like, trying too hard to be zany or trying too hard to be funny in a in a picture, and it's like just like <laughs> be yourself in the picture. It's just like a picture. You yeah. Don't, don't try to like put dynamite on a chicken or something like that. Like that's not funny. Mm -hmm. And um, then your picture, I scrolled through and saw yours. I was like, now this is a good headshot. <laughs> and I was like, this is uh, what I, I, I really thought this. I was like, you know, this is exactly what a, a comedian's headshot needs to be. It just sort of needs to exude and I like, like their essence. And the thing I picked up on was like, I would assume her comedy is smart and uh, like, like intelligent and, uh, and I was like, who is this person? <laughs> and then I, I like looked a little deeper and then saw um, some stand up clips of yours. And I was like, yeah, she's yeah, she's real smart <laughs> and, and oh, okay. is doing like an intelligent approach to comedy. So I, I really like her. She's really funny. And then I started laughing more and more. And I was like, wait, I should just have her on the podcast. <laughs> yeah well that's a fun way i never like really like i mean i guess you did it unintentionally but it's kind of a fun way to find guests at a certain level of comedy is like go to like the right kind of um festivals and check out their lineup yeah, then, yeah i had never thought of doing that before <laughs> yeah that's a good idea you know, yeah, accidentally smart idea for you um, <laughs> yeah, stumbled upon stumbled upon uh, <laughs> uh something very uh, good to do it's serendipitous yeah 
Well, that's nice to hear that you like my headshot. I mean, it's, it is like for like a crazy making thing to try to get those headshots and how much mm. money or effort you put into it or just kind of wait until somebody wants to take your pictures for free for whatever, right. you know, like I think the ones that you probably saw, I'm guessing, I'm guessing I know which one it would have been. And that's one that like, yeah, somebody who was like doing a photography class. Oh, cool. something like that. They, like, they reached out to me and wanted to take my photos for free, whereas, like, you know, I have paid for a couple rounds of headshots for, like, comedy and for commercial auditions that I've attempted, yeah. you know, and, like, those always, like, have not, like, have not been that great. Or I did it early and, like, didn't really know what I wanted to convey or have my look down quite yet or whatever, uh, you know. So, I mean, that is probably my, you know, eighth round of some kind of attempt at headshots. Yeah, I, um... What I remember, it's not the. I, I like the main picture on your website, um, but it wasn't that one that I saw. It was one you're wearing glasses, and uh, you have that a lip ring. Smart, in. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> no, but it really was your essence. It wasn't one of the glasses. <laughs> it was really just a vibe that I got from you. I get it too from the main picture on your head on your uh, website as well where it's the same sort well, of like I, you know. there's something very natural mm -hmm. that's that comes through on your headshot and that's why i'm like this is a perfect headshot because it's you're not trying you're just being and that's really what people have to do that's what i'm trying to do in life in general to try to not try but be so. right there's so much effort that we have to <laughs> put into just like being yeah <laughs> uh, if you fake it till you make it on the effortlessness thing i think right it's that's a hundred percent. It's the Buddhist conundrum, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like I don't know. It's like meditation. It's like how do you think about your breathing without controlling your breath? Without <laughs> you know? thinking about it. Yeah. Right. Um, you are in Austin. Is that where you're from? Mm -hmm. No, um, I'm from Houston originally, but I also started doing stand-up in Boston before I moved to Austin. Oh, wow. Okay, so yeah. you went from Houston to Boston back to well, Texas? <laughs> no, I lived, I mean, I lived in Houston until I was 17, then I went to college in Dallas, and then I moved to Orlando for seven months because my sister lived there, and I just needed to get out of Texas and start looking around and then i lived in new york for a year and then i lived in boston for four years and then i moved to austin oh. over five years ago okay and you started doing comedy in boston but not new york in what boston. brought you to new york well yeah it's a long and, and kind of silly story but i really started i actually started doing stand-up in Orlando when I was 23. There was one open mic there, and I did it. I was planning on moving to New York suddenly. That's what I decided as my next move at some point, because my sister had had some friends who were writers, and they said they just moved to New York and then just got jobs, and it was great. Well, that was like in 2008, so right as I moved there, they were all losing their jobs as all right. the print media right. went out of business. Right. And um, Yeah, and then I was like obsessed with I was already, I had already started like collecting menus and it was a whole thing. And I became just so obsessed with food in New York. That I let myself use that as a way. So, so I did two open mics in Orlando, knowing I was going to move to New York. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. Knowing I was going to move to New York, 
um, at some point to, to quote unquote be a writer. Uh-huh. One day I was I was running on the beach and like this stand up routine just started coming to me, and then I like ran back to this house and like started like recording myself ready. I think I recorded myself and I think I've never been able to find this recording. Um, <laughs> but then I started doing stand up at this at this cafe like two weeks before I was already going to move to New York, uh-huh. um, and it went great. But then I, I did one open mic in Dallas in between just like to see some friends. And it was kind of a nightmare of a mic. They don't have, or at least they didn't have a great mic scene in, in 2010. Mm-hmm. Then I moved to New York, put off doing stand-up for a bit until I finally did one open mic. And it was probably one of the worst open mics I could have chosen to do. Because the scene was getting a little bit more like supportive and less horrendous by then, but, but barely. Mm-hmm. And so I just had the bad fortune of like doing one mic where... You know, there's nine people there, but at any given time, half of them are outside smoking, and the four people who are in there are looking at their phones during everybody's set. You know, that sort of thing. Uh Um, And so then I just, I at the time was was a coward and a child, and so I let myself not do stand-up for four and a half years, despite the fact that, you know, I moved to Boston a year later and I lived above this guy, Rob Preen, who was a staple of the Boston comedy scene. He taught mm-hmm. classes and ran some mics and shows and we became friends and we had co-parties at our apartment. But I didn't finally start stand up until I moved out of that place um, and I got a sugar mama. And then a few months into that, like quitting my job and everything, then I'm, one of my friends took a stand up class and I saw him like ushering at the Boston Comedy Festival, and I was like, "Wait, you're? What, how are you in the stand-up world? What?" And he's like, "I started taking this class," and I was like, "For years, I've known like that's my thing. I'm someday gonna do that, I guess, or whatever. You know, that kind of classic thing. Um, something I really wanted to do, but I was just running away from. So because my friend was doing it, I'm like, "Well, fuck that shit," and I finally signed up for the class that my friend who I used to live above was teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, you know, it's like one of those huge regrets in life that I spent four and a half years running away. Like I feel like Jonah and the whale <laughs> running away from what I you know, believe is my calling. Um, but at the same time, then you just tell yourself the story that, well, that makes you different than the other loser kids who did start when they were 23 and now they don't have any conception of the world or they don't have like a well-rounded sense of things or they're all drug addicts now because they got success too early or whatever. You know, like, eh, everything happens for a reason, whatever, but it does, it does, you know, it had had a pang of regret for a long time, and to this day, you know, who knows if it's too late for me to truly succeed to the levels I want to in this godforsaken career. Well, you know, uh, things are just happening at weird times for, for people nowadays. Well, I say oh, weird, yeah, yeah. I just mean what... What used to be traditional used to be like only in your twenties. That's your only chance. But like that's changed so much over the last ten years. Oh, I know. Um, well, and there's so many different yeah. like formats to get your media out, whatever. And there are so many possibilities, and you never know what timeline you might be on, or like mm-hmm. at what age different things might happen. But like, mm-hmm. it's really only because I would like to have a kid that I'm that worried. Like if I were just a penis person then I could be like la 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 who cares that all the time the world to do anything mm-hmm. but because I would like to make a baby and it becomes like oh god <laughs> money right <laughs> forget all my other actual goals like mm, yeah. the money would be good but right. we'll see my real plan is 
that my girlfriend and I could meet another lesbian couple or two who have their shit together and also want to raise like one to two kids together that maybe they would like us to like bear them or whatever. And then they could do a lot of the raising while mm-hmm. I'm splitting about on tour and whatnot. It's well, a solid plan. We just have to find those couples. You got to find that. And they, they have to be out there. You know, people are doing like surrogacy and stuff. So, you know, all sorts well, people of people are doing all kinds of stuff. Right. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. I would imagine there are people who are, are thinking the way you're thinking in Austin. Yeah, but we're also trying to get out of Austin soon. Oh, yeah? Where, so, where to? Do you, do you have an idea? Well, yeah. So what? And it, everything keeps, you know, getting revised or has gotten revised in the, in the wake of, you know, the corona situation. But, like, currently our plan, and it's been stable like this for, for at least a month, I would say, is that... Um, we will buy a van. My girlfriend's car actually just got hit while it was parked outside my place and totaled. And mm. so we're like, you know, maybe that's not the worst thing because we already like kind of want to do this van life thing. So we're going to like outfit a van to be livable mm-hmm. and then spend some time like going from Texas then up the West Coast and into Canada. We're not sure, maybe longer than that, but maybe just do a few months of that. Um, we have various friends and people to visit around there and then also like i've always wanted because i've gone on all kinds of tours that i've organized myself you know um comedy tours but like it's always been planned out you know a lot in advance, like, you know i weeks to months in advance i'm booking shows and figuring and coordinating things and then you know talking to this comic about staying with there you know and having a spreadsheet of um where i'm gonna stay and where i'm what shows i'm gonna do and all this kind of stuff you know but I know that I have enough connections and networking and people who know me or people who know people who know me and, and everything to even just like in a, in a very short term way, get to book shows. If I, if I'm about to be in Portland, suddenly I'm like, okay, now we're going to leave wherever. And we know we're about to be in Portland. I can talk to a few people and definitely at least get some shows and, you know, make a tiny bit of money here and there. But like, um, still kind of like very spontaneously do comedy and have a good time and then and, and utilize the community and network that the stand-up world is to also have places to stay, to hook up our van, to take showers, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is like this kind of amazing thing because I've always wanted to live that kind of life. Mm-hmm. Um, like a really, like a really day-to-day, like without the plans, without, the, you know, um, all the stresses of coordinating everything and dealing with it, you know. Um, but it's I, then it's like, how am I ever going to get to have that? And, like, am I really ever going to take a break from comedy for that long? And I, I, th- I thought, like, let me do this thing where, you know, because then getting with my girlfriend, sorry, I'm a little rambly. Um, <laughs> you good. I'm, I'm twice divorced, right? So I've tried to figure out the life partners, like, partly because I want to have kids and all that. Um, and so then... Uh, you know, and I started, and as soon as I got like separated the second time, I was like, okay, I'm Polly now, and let, let me do some experimentation and let me whatever. Um, and I did, but then I met this uh, girl who, you know, it, at the time I, I was not really like looking for a relationship. You know, like ready to be single and do whatever. But we accidentally really fell in love, and I mean, I'm just like, you know, more in love with her than I ever imagined mm-hmm. that love. It's just it's it's everything and then mm-hmm. she really like wants to live 
free like that. We have so much in common that way, but she's better at it than I do. She has the skills and knowledge and understanding and like just the wherewithal. She is becoming an ultra marathon runner. And anyway, so it's like this perfectly compatible thing, but in that way, but still I felt like if we're going to do this fan life. Okay. But then I'll still have probably have like charts and figure out when to book shows and I'll maybe um, like do some time with her in the van and then like go stay in a city for a couple of weeks and, and then meet up back up there. Cause I can't, because I couldn't imagine going that long without doing stand-up. Um, you know, you, you get into the, the lifestyle, and mm-hmm. I'm, I've never been someone who, like, beat myself up and, like, you have to do seven days a week for years or whatever. Um, but it feels uncomfortable to do less than four nights a week. Oh, yeah. So, or, you know, and and definitely for a lot of time, I, you know, I edged my way up, even trying to be married and have and have some kind of relationship. Like, I still edge my way up into usually five or six for a lot, you know. And so I've gotten to a place where, like, four can be comfortable um, a lot of weeks. But the idea of doing more than that was just, like, unthinkable. I mean, chemically addicted to doing stand-up. It feels irresponsible not to. Other people are out there doing it all the time and hustling. You already feel like, is four really okay? Is four to five really okay? Mm-hmm. You know? But because of the coronavirus, mm-hmm. like, it just put a stop to all of it. Yeah. And it's just... You can't be out there I've like heard, that. Yeah. And I've heard other comics talk about, like, giving themselves breaks of varying lengths and how good that was for them and they care about your mental health and sanity and, and well-being. And I, like, tried to take that in, but still nothing until this virus really gave me the license, you know, in my heart to like slow the fuck down. Yeah. And it, and there's a part of me that even and feels like with these zoom shows that it's like, can you just not, can we just stop? Can we just take a fucking break? No one wants it. You know, <laughs> because there's so much content out there right now. There's so much content that already existed more than we could ever have time to watch that are amazing television shows and movies and the music and I mean, everything, everything and every, that's the video game. There's so much right. amazing content. We have all these dumb social media content as well, but we have YouTube <laughs> and we have, you know, and now there's a bunch everything. of new content. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's every Sunday every time I get on Instagram, I'm like, Eddie Pepitone is talking to one of my friends, you know, and it's like, these, and I'm like, I, I don't care. Watch this now. Yeah. These, it, it would be, but there's so much supply now. Yeah. Of like even live content where you're just like, I, I see some of the lineups on some of these Zoom comedy shows that like my friends are organizing and it's just like some awesome, incredible lineups. Yeah. And I am not, I, and there's part of me that wants to watch it just to see how like fucked and how like awful it is. Just how <laughs> sad. And, because usually you watch, if, if you, I don't, have you seen any of these Zoom shows? I've done some Zoom shows, but as improv, a, not as stand up. No, and well, I that haven't. seems even worse. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah, because it's like a few people trying to do something. As opposed to one person other, talking. Yeah, at least you have each other there to like giggle and, and like feel ridiculous with. You know, um, it's interesting. But, There've been different approaches. Like when we have not muted ourselves, it actually sort of like oh, hearing you're not other. Oh, not in the same room. Right. Oh my right. god, you guys are doing improv like over Zoom, Zoom. window by Zoom. Oh my it's, god, it's so you're eight then people there's a delay. And eight, <laughs> yeah, in eight locations. Well, the delay doesn't bother me so much because it just makes us listen more, which is actually good in improv. Oh my god. <laughs> but um it's just weird. You don't know how you're doing. And then last Well, I think go ahead. Oh, I was going to say last week uh so, so we just didn't uh use the the mute and uh, we mm-hmm. could hear people laughing 
and who weren't in scenes. So it was like, okay, yeah. you know, this is it. So it was like a better. little more fun. It felt a little better, but it's, you know, no, it's not ideal for stand up or improv. Um, I mean, no. the, the, we just put out a blog saying, Hey, here are a bunch of live comedy shows happening virtually if you want to check them out. But you know, it is something to me, the good in it is maybe there are more opportunities to see things that you just didn't have an opportunity to go see before, or you can get exposed to some new people. But really, I, I mean, feel like, but I think most people are probably not. It's really the sketch and character stuff that can really uh, thrive a little bit more uh, in this yeah. in this stage. But like going back to what you were originally talking about, about how much content is out there. When w- we first got the stay at home order, I was like, oh, great. I can catch up on all these shows that I'm uh-huh. that I've been missing. And then my my improv theater started doing shows and then they started doing shows every night. And I was like, okay, now there's just a bunch of stuff I want to see. <laughs> right. So that's the like, thing. It's like as, as soon as you think, oh, I my have a FOMO little bit of time just... now to finally watch these things. Yeah, exactly. Everyone feels the need to make all this content and try to capitalize on everyone's attention. Everyone's, everyone's bored at home. And so I, like all these companies coming out being like, we want to give you a little bit of free content this mm-hmm. month to help because we know you need it. And it's like, no, you don't. <laughs> we don't need anything. We have billions and trillions and quadrillions of hours of content at our fingertips. No, we're we doing do it because we content. need it. You're just giving it's us not... a sample to <laughs> right. get us addicted so that we start paying for the future. Go fuck oh, yourself. Right. You know, right. Oh, yeah. Grow. All of these companies, you know, whatever. And these improv, you know, here's the thing. If we think about it, stand-ups and improv people especially as like, we're doing this for ourselves. Okay, yeah. we're doing this to stay fresh. We're doing this to feel awkward on camera because we're going to have to get back and feel awkward on stage and we don't want to lose our legs completely. Right. And so if you understand that, then it's just like, but it's hard to really want to promote this stuff. I'm not going to I'm not gonna get on and be like, please watch these shows. I'm just like, dude, if anyone is just like feeling creepy, stocky, misses me or, uh, you know, whatever, and feels like it, like fucking get on here. But otherwise, we're doing this for ourselves. So let's just, let's just realize that. Because and, but, and sure. the only reason because I've done I've done like two of those shows. The first one it was like in the beginning and I was like yeah let me try this. It was fine. I had fun because I just realized like I'm just doing a six minute podcast right now. That's fine. Right. Uh, I don't give a shit what anyone watching it. I just don't care. Right. I don't know who these sixty people are that you know. And then the second one I did um, that wasn't my show was like some kind of storytelling show. It was like and it was like a Monday night and I was like you know. I could do that, and, and I was well, because I told the I was like, you as long as I don't have to be funny, <laughs> yeah. Because they're booking like two two stand ups and then some storytellers, and so I could already tell it's not gonna be like a funny show. It doesn't matter. But then I, I you know, I was like, you're booking me as a stand up, but I was like, I'll do it as long as like you really you don't have any expectations. Cause I'm who knows what I'll say, and they were like, yeah, great. Um, but then I've also done my show that I like one of my shows that I normally host in town once and I'm going to do it again next Monday and it's um, a show that we do stand up but you're allowed to heckle encouraged and like we give prizes to funny hecklers and stuff um, and it's so fun to do live um, mm-hmm. and it is not quite as fun on zoom but mm-hmm. it is still actually fun because like you said without muting because so what I do is just have like the other comics uh, on the zoom call and then if people sign up, we have a few other people like being hecklers, um, being in the Zoom call, so that it's like it's someone's turn to be the talker, but then other people are allowed to hustle. I mean, it's so weird because it's just grown adults hanging out with each other on Zoom, pretending it's a show. I mean, I mean, there were you know 15 people maybe watching the show 
who weren't on the Zoom call, and that's cute, but I'm sure half of them work for the theater that, like, you know, we're putting this through or whatever. Um, but it was fun because I just missed my friends. Right. It was fun because we're just making fun of each other, and I, I had a great time. I laughed more than I've laughed in a week probably doing that, and it's like, yeah, because other when you're doing these Zoom shows, like, you're just talking into the void most of the time, right. and it just feels awkward. Everyone mutes everyone. I'm like, yeah, they should just not mute the other comics on all these shows. So that there's at least some laughter, so that there's some amount of whatever. Like, I don't think it would really, like, hurt most of those comedy shows. Yeah. To, to, you know, everyone's still going to be polite. And, like, and also, like, you know, everyone, everyone is, to... that's what we're used to on stage. So right, if, if we hear somebody laugh, then we'll just respond like we did before. <laughs> you know? It's like... Right. So you're. It makes you feel better than sound. You sound feel like a crazy person doing. And and then you watch these stand ups do it. And again, some of them really brilliant, talented, semi famous people. And they just and they're just it's clear that they're going crazy. I mean, some of them are single and living in tiny homes, right? You know, tiny little apartments. Um, and they're just like clearly unraveling in their own heads. But Mm -hmm. like then then they're in that mental state and then you put them on camera and they haven't done any kind of stand-up for three and a half weeks at that point or whatever. I mean, I've watched some people that I really respect, like, melt down. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only reason I even have any desire to watch those shows. <laughs> to, that's some creepy schadenfreude that I don't think I should be proud of. <laughs> well, so, this, this like, you, you seem to enjoy that aspect of live comedy because you have a heckle show off script uh that you that Uh you do do you still were you still doing that up to stay at home okay so the for people who don't know this show is Mm -hmm. where stand-ups it's a stand-up show where the audience is encouraged to heckle yeah um and i tell the audience at the beginning because you know a lot of my a lot of people just don't know what heckling means or the way that comics use the word heckling right um they think a lot of people, of course, think that heckling is when you say you're fat, you're stupid, you're not funny, right? Um, suck my dick or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't think of it as like. Then there's the people like my first ex-wife who just really believed that it's helping the comedian to talk back to them. That they, <laughs> right, right. That it's, it's like it's giving them the fodder. Yeah, and and sometimes it is. I love hecklers, like even not on my show. Like I often do, except for the drunk people who have no sense of timing and they keep stepping on your punchlines or something. But a lot of right. times, especially if a show is going badly, there is nothing better than to have some kind of heckler to get the audience back on your side. You have something to talk about. You don't mm-hmm. have to like feel like an idiot doing your bits to people who aren't listening. Like, um, so sometimes really hecklers aren't, but it yeah. just depends. And if it's a good show with an audience who mostly is there to listen and like to be there for it, then a heckler can be just like such a letdown because you would mm-hmm. otherwise be having an amazing time just for anybody who's listening and doesn't get that. <laughs> but on my show, yeah. So I, it's like, I tell people, you can say the, like, you're not funny part if you want to heckle that way, but like, you, you know, see how that goes for you. But more we're interested in like, join the conversation. If someone's saying something and you think there's a false premise that you want to call out or you have a question about something uh, yeah. or you just, um, you know, you think sometimes they'll have tags and there's definitely like lots of comics in me, but I always do material on the show. Like it's, I tell comics, it's a great way to work on some material that you want to punch up or explore. Yeah. Um, or just find the scale. like angles that you are not aware of. I mean, you're missing. Yeah. Yeah. You just haven't, thought about it from with fresh eyes for months or whatever. Right. That's a really great yeah. idea. I really like that. 
Because, you know, somebody's so fun. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I'd be any good at it, but uh, maybe maybe I could be an audience member. But, you know, but the idea is like if someone got on stage and said, well, women be shopping, then an audience member could say like, well, you know, men shop, too. You yeah. know, like you guys oh, you I, love I, to buy a lawnmower. Yeah, I mean, and that is something that happens a lot on my show is when people have those kind of premises that do need to be called out a little bit for just like lazy thinking or Mm -hmm. stereotyping or just false premises to some extent, you know, then when people call that stuff out, it's really fun. We open up dialogue sometimes about like things related to, you know, sex and gender and ethnicity and, Mm -hmm. and socioeconomic status and everything. I tend to have pretty diverse crowds. Um, and so it's really fun to watch people because then it becomes a communal conversation, not just one heckler and the, and the uh, comic. Usually if things start get a little heated or someone says something, then an audience member will heckle the heckler, you know? Oh, wow. And it can become, yeah, it can become like a dialogue or a conversation that we're all really having. I mean, and then it's also happened where like hecklers have, there's been some, some dude usually who's a little drunk and just thinks everything he has to say is so interesting, you know, who will heckle too much and everything he says is, like, just ridiculous and, like, it doesn't make sense or is rude for no reason. Then, like, sometimes the audience will turn on the heckler, like, all together. And there was one time where that was starting to happen. And then, like, I just encouraged it in the audience. I was like, you can boo him. There's nothing, you, <laughs> there's nothing you know. You're allowed to heckle, but we can still react how we want to to the heckles. <laughs> And so, like, the audience collectively booed this guy and, like, and kept booing him throughout the night. And then uh, I've told that to audiences subsequently. It's like, yeah, you're allowed to do whatever you want. Like, basically, it's just because the, the, the insane thing about stand-up comedy is that one person is being handed a microphone and then, and you know, usually given some kind of stage in front of people. And we're all just supposed to listen and pretend there are rules. And if you're at a place where there are rules, you know, you can get kicked out. Okay, mm-hmm. great. But otherwise, it's just this strange crazy thing which if you're about to go on stage and you think about like <laughs> what's happening here it's it's bizarre you know and then everyone has in their mind a, a different opinion about heckling and about crowd work and and what's okay oh because the other thing i was gonna say is a lot of people nowadays if you've noticed like use the word heckling to mean when um when a comic does crowd work when a right asks uh, audience service <laughs> questions they think of that as heckling. And so like, I have to really heckling? kind of explain that to audiences that like, that is not how we use the word heckling. That's like linguistic mirror drift thing that happens sometimes. <laughs> um, just like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so I, but I tell them, yeah, I want them to join the conversation because I, I oftentimes, I wish that stand up were more often more like that, that we would not be so precious about our little rules about heckling because it's like, well, then dominate. Like, if someone heckles, instead of kicking the guy out, like, dominate the guy. Unless they're drunk and they're really unruly, mm-hmm. then you should be able, you have the microphone, the audience is probably going to be on your side. You don't have to be that wit, witty or quick, but with a little wit, like, you can really, really have some fun and really, like, put mm-hmm. them there. But sometimes a heckle is a really good point. Sometimes someone says some really funny shit with heckles and, like, it's, it can be the best parts of shows, and it can really help comics refine their ideas. Yeah. So, you know, we always talk, there's so many comics, especially, who are all, you know, about free speech and about how, like, you know, the better ideas in our society are going to come if we let people air out ideas and, like, really have a back and forth um, and allow people to say stupid things and, and then get corrected and whatever. And, like, I agree with all of that. But it's like, that's also true in stand-up. Like, a lot, and a lot of us, 
you know, if, if people say dumb shit on stage, sometimes you're going to get talked to after the show if you have that right, the right kind of friend, if it was dumb enough or whatever. But a lot of times, you know, it's like telling your friends that they really should use more deodorant. Like, you're probably just not going to do it. And yeah. so there's a lot, there's these false premises out there that, like, make me, like, cringe every time. But do I go up to that guy? Depending on who it is, do I go up and say, like, no, but if they're on my show and, <laughs> and they say that shit, I absolutely will heckle them. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's like it's allowed suddenly. And so it's interesting because, you know, for whatever the rules of decorum and stuff, like people could could get their jokes to a better, smarter place faster if they did more often let a little bit of heckling in. But especially in Austin, like some cities are different, you know, where you might get heckled more. But in Austin, our audiences generally, depending on where you're at, of course, but a lot of our audiences are very polite and like, mm -hmm. you know, good, quote unquote, good audiences and are just going to listen to you and probably be very generous with laughter and all that. And it's like, yeah, that's really nice in a lot of ways, but it's also really kind of enabling comedy to be less sharp than it could be. Yeah. I, the more you talk about it, the more on board I am with doing that show. Cause I, I only got heckled a couple of times, two or three times. And they all were, I guess, different for different reasons. And, um, mm -hmm. I didn't know how to handle all of them. Um, and so I never really enjoyed that process. But I, none of them were ones where someone was like, well, that's not actually true, though. You know, <laughs> or mm -hmm. it wasn't something yeah. that helped me think about it later, except for maybe one time where I paused a little too much, a little too long <laughs> after a uh, setup and it gave a person an opportunity to speak. Um, yeah. That like that was a time where I was like, okay, well, I'll just be a little quicker after Not I do that anymore. Right, yeah. but like, that's the only good thing that's coming. Every other time, it was sort of like, I don't know what to say, or I just yelled at him. <laughs> Yell is well, too strong of a word, but just like, it right. was like you're being annoying. You know, like, what are yeah. you doing right now? You know. <laughs> so well, but so that's the thing. It's hard to develop the skills to respond to hecklers as a comic um, because you're not getting heckled that often. Right. Um, most audiences are not going to heckle you if they do it, or, you know, or especially when you're just doing open mics in a few minutes, like, you know, you're just not going to have that, that much opportunity to get, get the skills. And so that's why I started, well, when I originally started hosting shows, I, got, I was just given this like venue every Saturday night and they just weren't even paying attention to what we were doing. I, I, it was like this upstairs theater. It was mostly an improv place, but they just kind of, they didn't even know what I was up to. And so I just kind of had free reign to do it. And I just got half of the door sales somehow. And it was really great. But um, so every week I had a different theme. And so one week um, we did the heckling aloud. And then another week it was like a riffing show where we had audiences and other comics, like write little topics or about that. And then another week it would be all crowd work. So everything you did had to start with crowd work. And if it, if it seamlessly led to a bit you already had or whatever, it's like great, but it needed to, and then, you know, it just needed to start from, from crowd work. And then once you, if you did get to a, a stopping point with some kind of riff or some kind of bit, then you would need to go back to crowd work. And then, you know what I mean? Like just that, that had to always be your base. And then the last week of every month was something I called director's cut, which is like any jokes that you had that you thought were either too fucked up and disgusting or just, like too niche mm -hmm. or just never worked or whatever like do all those kinds of jokes you know for anybody who wants to come see like the kind of 
what's on the cutting room floor or whatever. Um, and so, but I did all those different themes because I wanted to do those. Things. I wanted to mm-hmm. strengthen those skills. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, I desperately wanted to be off script as I called it, you know, mm. but, um, I needed the kind of license. Like I was a very scripted stand-up in the beginning. I w- everything was extremely scripted. Just think of the uh, the the farthest end of how scripted and rehearsed you can be, and uh-huh. that's what I did. So I was so afraid of embarrassing myself in front of everybody, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it took me uh, a while to like, you know, just I, I just and you know. Um, millimeter by millimeter edged my way out of that over the first couple of years but at some point in the second year I finally like I did a show called Stone Drunk Sober where two comics are stoned two comics are drunk two comics are sober um, and then and I asked to be stoned because I was like I, at that point I wanted to get high before doing stand-up but I was so afraid because cause I got high a lot in life I've you know gotten high beers but um, but you know, then I just like, what if it's not okay? I remember a comic telling me he'd, he'd done comedy on shrooms. And I was like, what? Whatever. <laughs> By this point, like now in my life, I'm like, oh yeah, I've done comedy in all kinds of wrong ways. But, um, but it was like a big deal. And so I needed like the license, you know, I needed the permission to be high on stage. And, and that, that, um, I wound up going first and I was super high and it was the best set of my life to that point. I mean, for none, easily, the most fun I'd ever had. And it was like, I was present. I was just, I talked and riffed in the beginning. And then I went into the stuff I wanted to talk about, but I was present. And instead of, you know, in that rehearsed brain, and it just changed everything. And for like months and months, I, did, I was always high now for stand-up. Like, and then it became like I had to be, and I had to be just the right amount of high. And it, that was the whole thing. Um, you know, it's still not legal in Texas, so, um, and a lot of bathrooms, smoking and getting, you know, and then there was one day where I did acid and then I got booked for the show that was like a big deal for that night. And I was like, oh my God. And anyway, but then that changed my life again. So from then on, I no longer had to be high. I've just kind of, I can just stand up any which way. Um, but it was just, like I said, this very gradual process. Um, and even in a, in a bunch of other ways too, to just to get really unscripted, to just really be able to be um, present on stage. But beca- mm-hmm. but but part of that was that doing those shows every week with those themes, because that way I had the permission, just like getting high, I had the permission to do something. You know, and the audience would know that we were doing that, and it raised the sta- raised the stakes, but in a in a like handicapping way for the mm-hmm. for the comedians. Um, Did the so audience know was who deal. was? high drunk or sober on that show yeah it would it would always be announced and then you would like cheer for which at the end it was like the one the teams would win um because by by audience applause yeah so they made a whole to do of it Mm -hmm. and that still happens and there's i think some sister cities do the show too Mm -hmm. i'd be kind of interested in in like seeing uh, the way you do it but then also uh seeing it from the perspective of like the audience just knows two of them are drunk, two of them are high and two of them are sober, but they don't know which ones. Oh, and they're never told immediately. Obviously the sober and the drunk persons, maybe the, I guess it depends in my mind does, uh, I guess what I need to know is would getting buzzed count for drunk or do you have to be like, well, that's the thing. you're supposed to be pretty high pretty drunk and pretty oh, sober. Oh, okay, 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 <laughs> I okay. mean... Well, then that throws my know, whole thing out of the, the wall. <laughs> people, that's the thing. Some of the sober people cheat a bit, 
some of the drunk people and high people I've noticed, like, I don't respect them, but they will sometimes not get that drunk or high, you know? And I'm like, you should be significantly drunk, high, or sober. I just don't, you know, it's like, what is the point of this? Just to be gimmick? I don't, I just don't respect those people. But, um, but most people do. I mean, there's some, I remember, like, my first time doing it when I was high on Team Drunk, we had a guy who, he, he walked out, he was immediately like, I'm drunk. I'm high, I'm on Coke, I'm on a little bit of Molly and Valium, you know, whatever. He's like, like he did everything. He was. That was that was real. And so, but that, you know, that was a particular guy who could, <laughs> like, yeah, that's fine. That's fine for Team Drunk. They did. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I've um, seen a drunk guy do stand up, and it was, he was like probably blackout drunk. So, how, and it was unwatchable. How, how, so, like, what is the limit here? I mean, it's just, you know, every, everyone can do whatever they want to. I've never seen them, like... Well, like, would you say, like, actually be drunk, like... <laughs> do, do I blacked be... out the last time I did the drunk show. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. I mean, it's, I black out the strong... It's just one of the... Like, I definitely, from, like, the next day on, I remembered starting my set and, like, and feeling, like, drunk and then and then just very quickly feeling, like... Oh, this would be more fun if I were a little less drunk. And then uh, sometimes, like those are kind of the black brownouts where you're like, I'm. I think I was basically there at the time, but then your memories start, your brain starts deciding to jettison certain memories as it goes because they're like, you're not going to really want to remember this right. <laughs> that much. So we're going to go ahead and skip remembering this. That's kind of how it felt. And I, you know, I could go back and like listen to that set. I don't know if I ever did, but I, it, I, it wasn't that bad. It's mm-hmm. just that like I hate that feeling of of like, oh no, there's a great audience here, and I should be having a really fun set, but I messed up a little bit. You know, just like if you bomb something in the beginning of the set and can't quite get it back. It was that kind of thing where I was like, uh, it's fine. Sometimes it can be fun to be three or four drinks in. But I'm sure someone handed me one more shot as soon as I got to the theater. Uh, and, you know, I and then I forget that I only weigh like 125 pounds now. Most of my life I was at least like, you know, 15, 20 pounds heavier. And, you just, you know, I'm just like I get drunk so easily that it's trying to find that spot it's hard to where find you're the like drunk but yeah. not. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's such a fine line that. I probably don't need to do that show ever again. <laughs> Being drunk is losing a lot of its appeal, you know. Right. In my thirties. Right. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, it gets harder though. We get. Um, yeah. You also have a podcast called Gender oh. Fluids. Yep. Can you tell me about that? Sure. Um, we've been doing it for over two years. It's me and my roommate. Well, she's quarantining elsewhere. Uh, right now, but me and my erstwhile roommate, Ava Smart, who's also a comedian, she's a trans chick, and I'm um, an androgynous vagina person, that's how I put it, an androgynous lesbian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, like I just, like, am non-binary. I just don't feel the need to identify that way, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it's us, and we talk about sex and gender and kinks and fetishes, but it's like, we just feel that most of it, like, there's all these queer podcasts that just are not funny, you mm-hmm. know? They're just, they're so sincere, they're very, like, every episode needs to start with every trigger warning and mm-hmm. compassion note, and, mm-hmm. you know, they use the word folks to exclusion of any <laughs> anything else. And they're just, 
you know, they just bummed me out. I was, we just wanted to start the pod, one, the podcast that we wanted to exist, mm-hmm. you know, funny, irreverent queers talking about sex and gender, you know, like, I love talking about gender. I love thinking about gender. It's like, you know, some people like astrology, mm-hmm. gender is my jam. Um, and I love sexuality and I was been a very weirdly sexual person my whole life. You know, I just, uh, these are areas of real interest for me. But then the other gay queer type people talking about that stuff are boring, you know, and sensitive. (laughs) Uh (laughs) And then my roommate and I, you know, we're just great friends and we just love getting together and usually getting high and talking. And we were having all these hilarious conversations all the time. And so it just was one of those things where it's like, well, yeah, this is a podcast to start. And then I thought of the brilliant name and we were off the races. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. So it's still on, and people can get it on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts and, and, and Spotify. Spotify and whatever they, whatever they feel. The places SoundCloud. where people get things. Mm-hmm. Um, I yep. One thing that stood out to me too when I was researching you is that you uh, opened for Rory Scovel. I've had the pleasure to uh, open for Rory as well. And uh, Dulce Sloan, I, I opened on a show that she was featuring on that Mia Jackson was headlining. Um, great comedy. And you had Maria Bamford and Pete Holmes that you've also uh, opened for. I mean, for. My, well, I probably wrote open for, it's more like I've been on shows with these people. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> because I, it's like, there's no real way to say that. And I'm not trying right. to like inflate my credits. There's just no real way to say like, um, yeah, I don't know. Right. No, Pete I know Holmes what you mean. And, Pete Holmes and I have been on uh, Put Your Hands Together before. Mm-hmm. Um, I did open for Maria Bamford officially at that cloud top thing, so that's mm-hmm. cool. But like Rory Scoville and I were on Hot Tub in LA together. <laughs> you know, I just, <laughs> He's just great. I just write open. Yeah. Just a lot of stuff like that. I guess I actually have open for Tim Dillon. I need to put that on there if I haven't, because he is my current favorite comic and oh, podcaster. Cool. <laughs> so, do you know Tim Dillon? No, I'm not super familiar with Tim Dillon. I well, think I've seen you have a really, the name. You have to have like a fucked up sense of humor. He's also a, he's a gay comic, and mm-hmm. he's um, so he's like one of the funny gays, you know. Because again, like man, who's stereotype? But not all the gay comics. There's a lot of funny lesbian comics. Mm-hmm. Lesbians seem to make funny people. Um, but <laughs> yeah, he's and it's it's not just being funny. Like he's just irreverent. You know, irreverence mm-hmm. is something I really like. That kind of, like, nothing is sacred kind of comedy. Like, we're just going to go there kind of comedy. Okay. Um, and one of my friends, uh, a great comic, Dave Ross, turned me on to him a few years ago. Because he had, like, some Instagram tweet posts, you know, that were, like, starting to go viral among comics. Um, he was just making really salient, funny points. And that's what he, he's great at that anyway, but... Just shout out to Tim Dillon if anybody doesn't know yet. Nice. Thank you for letting me know about him. You mentioned you like irreverent comedy. Is that what you say would say your approach is? I mean, I don't it's hard to even like feel like I have an approach. I don't feel like I've ever been like, here's my formula, let me plug in the <laughs> right. variable. Uh, I never I mean, knew how to answer it when people would ask me. Mathematically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some people are, like, mathematic about their comedy, and, that, like, that's fine for them. For me, it's just, like, I think and read and talk to people 
all the time and talk all the time, you know, and then sometimes I'm on various substances and sometimes <laughs> I write things down and then sometimes I sit down and think about things I've written down and sometimes <laughs> I get on stage to talk about them and sometimes I record, record podcasts and then like stuff just builds and it just, it just happens. So I don't, it, you know, but, but what I'm attracted to is definitely, you know, I would say irreverent. It's, I've always been a devil's advocate and I think growing up in Texas, it was like, uh, I was different because I was a Mormon. And so mm -hmm. then I'm always kind of defending that stuff to people at school, but also um, at uh, at church, then sometimes being in the positions of defending secular views for whatever, you know, mm -hmm. and then being gay. But I've been being a gay Mormon who was like not being gay didn't mean that Mormonism wasn't true. So mm -hmm. I still like lived for years being like, you know, um, well, I can uh, just not act on my same-sex attraction, or I could do a sin now or a later thing, or mm. um, whatever. But so I, I've, I've always been in kind of world. I just, I just developed this habit of just being the devil's advocate for whatever was going on. And I would mm -hmm. be in a more conservative area. Now I'm the liberal one, and then I'd be in more liberal areas, and then being the conservative one. And so just toggling my viewpoint always and just you know that I, I just have that kind of brain mm -hmm. and so that's something that comedy does it's it's it usually attracts a lot of people like that who aren't really ideological we don't really get stuck to one side or the other and we're able to see the flaws in every argument and like one of the things that comedy evolved to do is to be a kind of debugging system for our logic and so those of us who can do that are just looking for flaws in logic essentially and then and making it funny you can't just go up to someone on the street or on, a, on stage and say here are the things that are ridiculous about what you guys think you guys are uh unconsciously subscribing to to these things there's here are your fallacies whatever you can't just do that you mm -hmm. have to kind of take on a character or say things in a funny way or whatever but that's what i'm trying to do you know i feel very much like a, a real sense of meaning and purpose. It's really fun and thrilling, but I feel a sense of meaning and purpose to try to like improve people's thinking, to try to get people to get outside their bubbles, outside their boxes, to go. And, and because I'm a queer vagina person, <laughs> I have so much license to talk about a lot of things in ways that a lot of people would love to talk about, mm -hmm. you know, in the ways that I do, but they can't really figure out how to get away with it or whatever. And so I feel definitely even a sense of responsibility um, whatever license you have because of your demographic, because your situation, I mean, that's, that's a gift. That's like where much is given, much is expected, you know? And so I'm like, I absolutely need to be, to use this situation as a platform to try to um, broaden people's thinking about these things. And also to let non-vagina, non-queer people have the license to agree with me and to go, okay, I thought that. So a, a vagina queer person thinks that? Okay, then maybe... I don't have to be as ideologically pure as I thought I did to not get burnt at the stake in the cancel culture right now. I think that's great. I think, I mean, that's, that's especially... I want people to come out of their closets about, about their opinions. Exactly. And again, even if yeah, they're wrong... Yeah, that's what struck me. If then, then you need, then they need to have the light of day so that they can learn that they're wrong or figure out how they speak right. those things or whatever. I mean, I absolutely am on that side of things. Where yeah. there is truth, if we shine light, the truth will rise. Right. But we have a very strange thing, particularly on the liberal side right now, 
of, of silencing people. And I right. find it, it's, it's, it's gross to me, but it's also, it's because the children have been given so much power. The children who do not understand the history, who do not understand how right. we got here, they do not have the perspective, but they have an enormous amount of power because they know how to build social media. Right. And, and, and we've given it to them. And so those of us, especially who are in this between ages, like, you know, I'm 33, so I feel like I do understand a lot of the perspective of the young, and mm-hmm. I feel for it. And there's a lot of good, beautiful empathy there, as there always is, but it's mm-hmm. always idealistic at those ages, and they don't have the perspective that the older people do. But then the older people are also somewhat jaded and somewhat yeah. more, you know, regressed in their thinking, whatever. And so it's, it's I, I think that the people in kind of um, the, these middle generations can need to, we have a, the responsibility to bridge the gap, help people, um, because the young need the wisdom of the elders, yeah. and the elders a lot of times need the compassion of the young, yeah. and so we've got to get it all working together. Well, absolutely. Just everyone being silent and in their closets about what they really think. Yeah, I I so love that you're saying that, because it's, I mean, when you were first talking, I was like, yeah, that's how I, you know, like, that's what I love so much about, you know, people having that moment of like, oh, I think that way too. Oh, great. You know, like, that's so great. And now or I'm experiencing that. About it that way. <laughs> right. But you have a point. But I mean, I'm now like experiencing you saying, <laughs> I've been like feeling this way for so many years. Like what you're saying, I've felt for so many years. So now I'm having the experience of being like, oh, someone else thinks this way. <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, and it's, I'm not a big fan of, of like, I disagree with this person, therefore they are canceled and we should all cancel them and we should end their career because that person doesn't learn anything. You're just attacking them. And, you you know, them into a martyr, if anything. Yeah, that's also very, if anybody catches wind of that. When, it, when it's that kind of a person, right. then it's just, it's like, strike me down, I'm only going to get stronger. And then, you know, you, it, people... It's, yeah. There's, it's, it ends up being so very, much, very toxic. Because, right. you know, if somebody can't just have a different opinion than you, and we're not talking about people who are saying, like, anti-Semitic things or something like that. We're talking right. about people who just say, like, well, I think government should do this. You know, <laughs> it's just like a different opinion. Yeah. And people are like... Right will twist that into some sort of thing that it's that's like a lot worse than it really is. And right. um, then they'll they'll galvanize all these people to go against that person and really try to like hurt them where it counts, which is like making a living. And that is that is or just being a social pariah as yeah. well, you know. You know, we're not talking. It's an enormous thing. Right, right. You know, like, I totally understand why people are talking about Louis C.K. the way they are online. That makes sense. But when it's just somebody who's had a different opinion, and, or they say, like, like just the other day, Fire Chris Hayes was a trending hashtag on Twitter because he said. There's always someone on the news to to fire. Right. Right. But he got it because he said, hey, just because you like Joe Biden doesn't mean you can dismiss an assault claim against him. And so. Well, a billion people have said that. Why is it bad for him to say it? Right. But then what people were doing was saying, like, fire him. He should be fired for this. And it's like, guys, is this really. Stop trying to get everyone fired. Why? Why should we. have record unemployment in this country. We don't need one. (laughs) Right. Like the, the guy made a good point. 
Okay. <laughs> oh, that Chris you... Matthews who is, was made some weird analogy but between Napoleon and somebody I don't even remember anymore, but I went back and watched that clip and I was like, yeah, that's just like an older dude making a weird analogy to some in some book he read. It wasn't it was not, but it was so easily painted as like this insanely racist thing and I was like anybody who actually walked, went back and watched that clip mm. would know that it was not or that even that uh. What was the Knickerbockers thing? That some lady like she said naggers or something. Oh, and it was she like, said. <sighs> I might be thinking Knicks, of yeah. Like she was talking about the New York Lakers. Knicks. No, oh yeah, and the Lakers. Nakers, it was like the she, she yeah exactly. Instead of and and it was clear if you went and a lot of people and it's like everyone on Twitter is weighing in, but it's clear if and if you have the tiniest amount of charity in your heart, the tiniest amount of perspective taking, you would see that it doesn't make any sense. Why would anyone ever do that? Right? Why would anyone ever choose? You know, if people were saying it's like, well, of yeah, you said I mean, it, people are racist. It's like what? <laughs> right. That was that was another I, one of those you know, situations where it's like that's an obvious slip of the tongue. And it was obvious. how how People are you? No I, I don't know if I don't know if they're playing dumb or if they're actually that dumb to think that that's what she was trying to do. It's it's really like it's people are obviously in a really sad state. A lot of people really love being angry. Mm-hmm. Really love being angry. They're addicted to it. They wouldn't know what to do with themselves without it. Um, and so they are looking for outrage constantly. Because the thing is, when when someone else is bad and and you can point to that then it makes you feel like you're good right look at that person you know and that is just what so many people are getting off to right now and i just Mm. you know i wish people would just take a moment and breathe yeah take and and not and also but people then want to get the viral tweet the viral takedown tweet and the one with all the whatever and get followers because you know the mob likes each other because yeah they want well they're building their brand and so they and they're building, and yeah, they're building their outrage community so that they can do this. And they're powerful. I mean, the whole thing is is disgusting and creepy. And like, people need Jesus, you know, if you will, on a metaphorical level or whatever. But <laughs> I could talk to you forever. We can't because we still have things to do. So now's the time to transition to the end of the episode where we try to create something together. And the idea that came to mind because you have these fun shows that you're doing these these theme shows like off script i was thinking maybe mm-hmm. we could talk about an idea for a show okay so creating a show yeah so um i'm trying to think of what like like if we're gonna put together a a comedy show like what that show could be um like uh, is there an idea for a show that you've been knocking around like like a stand-up show um or should we uh, jump off uh, with a different idea um i'm sure that i have some show ideas and some of these little <laughs> notes somewhere but i don't know <laughs> let me see if anything <laughs> comes to mind like, um, i'm wondering like what's could you have the the show where the crowd can heckle? So it's like a really good learning experience for the comic and and a honing experience for the comic, and interactive mm-hmm. with the audience. And then there's the show where uh, two people are drunk, two people are high, two people are sober. Uh, what if there is something well, where it's like, 
uh, an audience member. Nah, that just sounds like an open mic. <laughs> I was gonna say like an audience member who's never tried stand up before. Like one of someone from that from the audience jumps on board, but that's just like that's oh, been well, done before. Oh, I definitely at my heckling show, I often do a giveaway and a surprise to someone to do for for someone to do like one minute of oh. stand up. So they can also get heckled. Uh, so <laughs> I incorporate that. You know, I, I did have an idea for a show that I've still never done. I think some people have done similar-ish shows, but I'm not sure anyone's quite doing this, which is, because I've done some shows at, like, strip clubs or burlesque shows where, mm-hmm. like, the, the people will dance and then stand-ups will be in between. Um, and the first time I did that um, with a drag show, I was the only comic there. Um, it's Jeff DeRuin's show in, in New Orleans. He's a really great guy. And... He let me go on, and, like, so then during my set, I was like, oh, well, if y'all want to hand me ones, I'll put them in my sports bra, you know? <laughs> and so then people, some people did, and then I, like, he tipped me out with the with the dancers, and so, um, and that kind of was really fun. Now, I no longer wear bras, for the record. They um, make your boobs sag more and give you cancer for ladies out there, oh, wow. or boob people out there. I didn't um, Yep. But anyway, I thought it'd be fun to do a show with with stand-ups where we are getting tipped for our jokes. Like, mm-hmm. we could probably, I would say we probably need to incorporate a little bit of element of um, of stripping or dancing or whatever. Like, maybe we could we could have, like, one or two pieces of clothing we removed just to make it, like, extra little gimmicky. And I think mm-hmm. that we should probably have, like, I've always, I thought, like, you probably would want a drag queen hosting it. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Drag queen stand up type. A lot of drag queens just are, you know, inherently kind of stand up And then... Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, drag or burlesque or something between the comics to get the audience in that mode of like tipping those dollar bills, mm-hmm. um, and because that's and and to also get those audiences out because a lot those audiences like for like burlesque shows and drag shows they have that culture of tipping they have that culture of loving that of loving the the interaction the engagement of like going up there and like supporting these people and so a lot of times with stand up shows some. You know, we give away so much for free or for really cheap. And a lot of times there are, you know, people who would like to be our patrons more, who would like to support us, and we don't always give them opportunities to do that. And then it's also just fun, I think, for for people to, like, get to reward the jokes that they like. Because mm-hmm. if there's a tip jar, I'll, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll do these shows where there's a tip jar, but I'm like, please, please wait until after my set to fill out the tip jar <laughs> or something, <laughs> or where you're like, like, you can see people where, you know, where you're, like, some comics are bringing up or down the tips that y'all are going to get with their, you know. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you, it could be really fun and cool and vulnerable to have it really be direct where um, people were encouraged to tip when they liked you. You know, just the way they really do for anything else. There's always going to be people kind of being supportive um, to everyone so they're not embarrassed or whatever. But, especially if you bring out those burlesque or drag audiences. But... I would, I, just from the perspective of me, I would love to be in the audience of a stand-up show where you got to give money when you liked a joke. That would uh, be I know cool. That people are even doing that with like Venmo and Zoom right now, but it's not like, you'd have to have it like on real time, kind of be right there like a cam girl does where she can kind of see like, oh yeah, thanks for the money for that. Um, yeah. It's also just not a natural stand-up thing, but for a live show, yeah, when someone said something that you thought was amazing and hilarious, whatever, like to get it to go up there and like give them money, I think that would be really fun. Yeah, um, so and it also I, would let a comic know what their A material mm-hmm. is. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I mean, really if somebody liked it so much they paid you, then that joke might be bulletproof. 
Yeah. And I'm, yeah, and I feel like, dude, to be an audience member and have that relationship with that joke for the rest of your life, sometimes mm-hmm. you're, you know, these people are like hoping some of us will become famous or have whatever. And if you gave someone $5 once or a dollar, whatever, and then you see that joke on Netflix one day, like, how yeah. cool would you feel? Yeah. You know what I mean? So I really feel, cause especially with comedy fans and in, in a bigger city, like, it, it would definitely be better in like Chicago, LA, New York. Um, I think you need to have the kind of people who really are comedy fans mm-hmm. um, for that. But again, like I said, if you if you combine it with burlesque or drag to get people into that mode um, and just sprinkle in the stand-ups and then, you know, have them still do that, I feel like it would work. I just have so many things going on my plate all the time that I've just never gotten around to doing it. Well, I like it. What would we call the show? Well, my friend... Whitney Chitwood, I think, I don't know if she started or someone else did, took Strip Joker, which had been my original oh. name for it. But <laughs> I like that. I think they're, yeah, but they're actually like stripping, I think. I don't know if they're, I'm not sure if they're doing the tip structure the same way or if it's, uh-huh. it's incorrect, cause, or if it's more tied to the stripping than the jokes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want it to be as focused on the, the stripping. Like, I want right, right. stand-ups to feel like they can you know, do their material. Because I think that's what's really cool about it. It's like, okay, burlesque people, you can show your titties and ass all you want to. I'm going to make tips with my joke. You know, <laughs> I'm going to make tips with my good points. Because, um, I mean, I don't know. I was When I was dating that trans dude, he was a boyless dancer and a drag king. And so I went to so many drag and burlesque shows. Mm-hmm. And some of them were like the same people. And just like watching the same people take off their clothes one piece at a time over and over again. <laughs> I was like, I don't care. <laughs> trying to think of a name oh yeah um i don't know burlesque jest (laughs) burlesque jest no i don't like it (laughs) i mean i'm trying to like think of all the different elements and maybe there's not a way to put all of them together yeah Um, tipping what do you say is the be- the biggest part of it? The tipping or uh, the burlesque? Yeah, I mean, it's basically, yeah, it's, the, the biggest part is that we're combining the style of burlesque or drag tipping with stand-up. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's kind of like, it's this hybrid. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, like, drag. Maybe- yeah, burlesque. I just, the word burlesque is just too cumbersome. Yeah. Um, Portmanteauing or whatever. Yeah, and drag. I keep just thinking of like dragging people. Um, and well, which and is also not, then like we don't want to make the stand up necessarily feel like they need to be in drag. Right, so right. Yeah. We put that in the title. Um, See, this is part of the reason I never got around to starting the show. I never <laughs> did come up with a good name. So. <laughs> there's there's got to be a fun name there. The maybe we kind of know something about vote with your dollar. 
Money, cash, rolls, everything. Yeah, it's like everything that's coming to my mind is like already, it's just not as good as Strip Joker, anything I'm thinking of. Yeah, we should, I probably should have mentioned that. Maybe you're going to have that inferiority. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, do we have to come up with a name? Maybe some. Maybe one of your listeners can come up with a name for us. <laughs> um, strip your pockets. Okay, that's it. Uh, there it is. Strip your, but then there's not really a joke nope. comedy element to it. Just com- uh, this, uh, a strip your pockets comedy knife. <laughs> no, uh, that's tip, that'd be that's tip worse. Jar, tip your strip jar. <laughs> strip jar. Strip jar. Yeah, I, I thought some, but then, but then, are we really stripping? It still doesn't have a comedy element. Strip jar um, comedy. Strip jar. Strip jar comedy. Maybe. Because instead of a tip jar, we have a strip j- Okay, so instead of... instead of Maybe that's uh, an element. The like, tip jar, they have the to- strip jar, which is they have to put the two two pieces of clothing have to go <laughs> into the strip jar, and instead of a tip bucket, you're going to tip them. So it's that's called it. strip jar comedy. That's I the think show. that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you can put any two. So obviously some comics are going to be like, I'll put a scarf and a glove in the thing. And then other comics are going to wear two pieces of clothing so they can get naked. You know what I mean? Uh-huh, uh-huh. But it can be any two you want. I think that's a great idea. Strip jar comedy. Boom. No, no, no. We don't have a tip jar at this show. We have a strip jar and then you tip us. Yeah. We did it. There it is. Bam. Thanks, <laughs> thanks so much for being on the you, podcast. You did it. Oh, yeah. I just justified it. You did it. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that chat. I think Ariel is one to watch. Check out her podcast, Gender Fluids, available on all things. Find out more about her on her website, arielisaacnorman.com. Follow her on Facebook at Norman Ariel and follow her on Instagram at Ellen the Genderless. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod. Also, subscribe to our newsletter and support us if you can and would like to. Just go to thereitispod.com to find out more about our comedy lifestyle newsletter and how to support us. We have links in bio to all of that stuff. All right, next week's episode is a fun one. I can't wait. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 